Um, Sam's going to be preaching from Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 6. We're going to read that together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Thank you, Charlotte. Happy New Year. Thank you. I love New Year's. Maybe you can tell by my personality, for those of you who know me, but I love resolutions. Um, I, I make resolutions about resolutions. I'm resolving this year to make more resolutions. But one of my challenges is that I like making resolutions and keeping them. I have a lot, and the list is long. Just give you one example. Recently at a membership meeting, my wife made the loving comment that I'm looking scrawnier lately. And so I have not lifted weights for most of 2022. And as the guys know in the staff, I go through little spurts where I'll do push-ups in the office uh, for about a week, and then I stop. And so I'm resolving this year to not be so scrawny for my wife, only for my wife, just, just for my wife. And I have other resolutions too. I want to be more well-read, more thoughtful about things. I want to resolve that the last thing I look at before I go to bed and think about it is the Lord. And the first thing I think about is the Lord. Not my phone, not email, not social media. That's a resolve of mine this year. That's a true resolution. And maybe you have some resolutions. Maybe it's to get healthier. Maybe it's to finally go to bed early this year. You probably won't. All right. Watch less TV. Spend time with more loved ones. Go on more trips or adventures. But I want to exhort you this morning, on the first day of January, to make your number one resolution. A resolution that if you get this one, you'll get a lot of others for free. Indeed, if you don't have this as your resolution, all the other ones will actually be worthless. The resolution I want to challenge you to embrace, church, Lebanon, APC, visitors who are followers of Jesus, is to run to Jesus like an Olympian in 2023. Run to Jesus like an Olympian in 2023. Let me let you know where we're going first. We haven't been preaching through Hebrews. We just finished Genesis. We're going to start a new series next week. So let me give you a quick context of Hebrews. Then we're going to really dig in to what we're being called to run after and how do we do it with endurance and ultimately what is going to motivate us in the long run. If you have ever studied the book of Hebrews, the driving question is this, is Jesus worth it? See, Hebrews is a letter written by a pastor to a people. It's the longest recorded sermon in the Bible that we have. It's a sermon. It's not like a, a normal epistle. 
And this preacher is calling his people because he knows that his Jewish believers are struggling under persecution, increasing persecution, suffering, challenges. And the very obvious question that would come up in any of our hearts is, is Jesus worth all this pain? Is he worth all this struggle? And so he is calling them, Jesus is better. Persevere till the end. Now we're going to unpack chapter 12, 1 through 6, carefully in light of this. So look at verse 12, verse 1, verse chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight or hindrance that clings and sin that clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, there's a lot here and we're gonna kind of go out of order. Just a heads up for those of you who are linear thinkers. But running this race is the main verb. Everything else is surrounding this main command to let us run. We're going to get into those details in a minute, but let's start off. What is this race he is speaking of that we're called to run? Well, keep in mind the context of Hebrews. To be simple, the race is the call for every Christian to follow Jesus till the end, to be faithful in the midst of trials, to love Jesus, to follow his word, to make much of Christ, make disciples till the end. I'm just using that as a simple overview. The text, though, doesn't say here just to run, but run with endurance or perseverance. Throughout Scripture and throughout history, and I'm sure in our lives, we know people who run fast and started well. But there's no category in the Bible and in Hebrews of someone who runs fast and ends quickly. The call is constantly endure in the long run. I mean, think about Jesus' parable of the soils, the four different soils that all of us have in this room. In this room are represented four kinds of hearts. And one of them on the screen, Matthew 13, 20, says this. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and then immediately receives it with joy. Right? We know what that's like. If you've been around long enough, we've seen people who get on fire for Jesus. They're excited, but yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And I've been a Christian for 18 years now, going on 19, and I have friends who we sought Jesus together. We wept for the loss. We shared the gospel, and they don't follow Jesus anymore. They started well. They sprinted out of the gate. They were crushing it, but they slowed down, and they fell off the race. The Bible has no category of merely running fast in the beginning, but enduring till the end. And that's what we see. And that's one of the heartbeats of this pastor, trying to get his people to run till the end. Now consider this word endurance. Endurance implies hardship. It implies struggle. You don't use that word endurance for pleasurable things, right? I I had to endure that date with my wife, right? I endured that vacation. I endured that great movie. No, no, you use the word endured because it implies, it demands that something is challenging. Something makes you want to give up. And if you read carefully and you look at your Bibles, verse two and three uses this word endure again. Endure is repeated three times. Verse two, Jesus endured the cross. Verse three, 
he endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So what is this text calling us then and saying, it's implying that the following, the following of Jesus, this race that we're called, is going to be hard. It's going to be at times excruciating, just like Jesus. I mean, there's no... Jesus was serious when he says in Luke chapter 9, 23, which we preached on last year or the year before. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is a hard thing. Now there's joy and we're gonna get to that in a minute. But let us be reminded that this race is hard. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand right now, how many of you know, at least theologically, at least mentally, that the race of faith is going to be challenging? Who would raise their hand? Now, raise your hand if you are, like me, surprised when things are challenging and hard. What's wrong with us? I do it all the time. I will literally preach this, and I'm going to drive away, and I'm going to like... I'm not, I don't want to say what could happen, but something's going to happen. I'm going to be like, what's going on here, right? And I just told you it's hard. This life is hard. So here's a question that we should ask. Okay, it's hard. We get it. We've all experienced it. How do we then run with endurance? Let me give you a few ways. How do we run with endurance? Number one, we have to have the mindset of an Olympic runner. If you look at any scholarship on this passage, it's likely that this pastor is referring this race, he has in mind either the Olympics or the Pythian Games or Isthmian Games. Back then, in this time, there were three large races and competitions. Now we have the Olympics. Back then, they had three. But these races, these athletic events were like the Super Bowl of that day. If you were to win, if you were to represent your city, your town in one of these events, you would be a, be a hero. If you won, you would be a national hero. It was a tremendous honor. Now, when you think about anyone in a race, anyone to be an Olympian, anybody here ever dreamt of being an Olympian? Anybody? Wow, not, not a lot of ambitious people in here. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Half the sermon won't make sense now. But imagine if you wanted to be an Olympian. And if you've been around someone who's been an Olympic or you YouTube training regiment for an Olympic gymnast or whatever you want to do. We did that recently because our girls have talked about being gymnasts in the Olympics. What strikes you when you hear or see about these people? They're possessed. It's their identity. It owns them. At least you work with people who want to be in the Olympics, right? She works at the U of M. It owns their life. It affects the way they sleep. They have sleep trackers at night. They check out how many REM cycles they went through. They look. They count their calories. They got an app of how many calories they're eating. They look at all the time they spend. They cut out certain relationships that are toxic and distracting for them, right? Isn't this what they do? Any of them who want to make it, that's what they do. Those who just say they want to make it and don't make it, they don't do these things. They're insane. They're crazy. They're possessed by this single-minded goal to become Olympic athletes, represent their nation. When I think about records and the glory of Olympics, I love the Olympics when it comes on. You think about the world record for a 100-meter dash 
set by, by Usain Bolt in 2009, 9.58 seconds, right? I would double that, right? It's less than 10 seconds. That's glorious. It is wonderful. It is impressive. But after Hussein Bolt wins that Olympic gold, what next? I'm not disregarding the glory of Olympics. And if some of you guys end up representing our country, that's awesome. Look at Eric Liddell. You could do it to the glory of God. But what I think about when I see the Olympics is I have a mixture of awe and sadness. Think about this. These Olympic athletes spend their entire life organizing every detail of their waking hours in order to meet this singular goal all for a few seconds, and then it's over. Their entire life committed for a few seconds. And that's good. But there is a race that all of us Christians are called to that's infinitely more important than the Olympics and representing your country and all the glory that comes with the Wheaties box and all the other goods that come with it. Olympic runners run for a lot of great things, but it won't really matter when they die. There's a race that if you do not finish, you do not live. The race we run has not just repercussions in this life, but the age to come forever. And so this text is commanding us, Christians, calling us to live our lives, live this Christian walk, this race, like we would be if we were an Olympian. So if I'm honest with myself, when I look at my own life, how I discipline myself, the way I live, does it look like I'm living and running for something, training for something that's more valuable than the Olympics? Does your life, does my life demonstrate that we're running for a greater prize, a higher prize, a lasting prize than the Olympics? If you were to compare your discipline, your lifestyle, and compare to an Olympic elite athlete, would you say, mine is more. Mine is more committed because you have something far more valuable than the Olympic athlete. We all know intuitively that anything worthwhile takes work. But my concern for myself, and there's a me, a true me in that statement, is that we want the life without the lifestyle. You want to get the six-pack abs, but you can't get rid of late-night Taco Bell runs. You want to be a well-read person, but the problem is you don't like reading. You want to be a spiritual giant, you want, you know those people that you meet and you just say, oh man, they know Jesus. Like, I don't know Jesus. I want to be like that. And they're like, hey, you want to pray with me? You're like, no, I don't pray. Are you crazy? We all have these contradictions. All of us here have these contradictions of the things that we say we want, but our entire lifestyle demonstrates that we don't actually want that. We want the life without the lifestyle. And the reality is our lifestyles are perfectly arranged, fine-tuned right now to give us the kind of life we have with Christ right now. Your relationship with Christ is not the result of one decision, but a thousand decisions all the time. A thousand habits that have been shaping you for generations or for, not generations, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, some of you for generations. 
It's been shaping you for seasons of your life to give you the life you have right now. I think about this, is that every single one of you here, if I were to interview you, you are good at something. Whether it's a game or it's a craft, a hobby, a job, you are really good at that. You are world-class, you're very good at it. And to get to that level you're at took years, right? Took hard work, took sacrifice, it took passion, took dedication. You didn't just wake up one day like that. And I just wonder, what if that one thing was our relationship with Jesus more than anything else? You look at every other hobby, every other thing you're passionate about, every other thing you're good at, and all those things matter. They're good. We should have those hobbies. We should have those works. We should be good at our job, all those things, but none of them would be as big as our passion and our relationship in running after Christ. Now, I understand some of you may have some objections. Indeed, maybe some of you grew up in a fundamentalist, legalistic background. You got some alarm. Wee, wee, wee. Uh-oh, this pastor here is getting legalistic on you. 2023, he's going to put a heavy yoke, a burden on you. How can you take something so intimate, so beautiful, so relational, like relationship with Christ, Christianity, a relationship, and dumb it down and limit it to something like Olympian? Well, let me get into some of the objections about legalism later. But let me address one common objection, especially for those who are millennials like myself or Gen Z after me. Because the objection is Christianity is a relationship, Sam. When you make it at all about discipline, you take away the authenticity of it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? See, I, I love spontaneity. I have grown subtly, slowly to appreciate traditions. In the past, I was the type that would not give you a gift on your birthday. I will give it the day before or the day after to say, I'm doing this because I want to, not because I have to. Kids, no Christmas gifts this year. We'll do it the next day. Now, I don't do that anymore, but that's how I'm wired. I'm a product of my generation. We're all products of our generation at some level, unless you detox from your generation. And one of the lies that I have fallen into, that many of you have fallen into, is that, is that if something needs to be truly authentic, it needs to be spontaneous. It can't be planned. You plan a date, that's not romantic. It has to be coming up. You, you get raptured up with desire, and all of a sudden, let's go. We're going to go to Italy, babe, right? That's romantic. You put it on the calendar, oh, that's not romantic. So we don't Therefore, with this mindset, we impose that on our relationship with Christ. Oh, I don't read my Bible unless I feel like reading, because I, I don't want to give God my second best. I want to give God my authentic self. I'm not going to just read the Bible because I have to or because it's a discipline. And imagine the insanity of this thinking that we all have at some level. Many of us do. Imagine talking to an Olympic hopeful, and you say, tell me about your training regiment. And they say, I don't have one. I run when I feel like it. I eat food. I'm on a seafood diet. When I see food, I eat it. You know, you got to try it. I love it. You know, just imagine how perplexing that would be walking away with someone who says they want to be in the Olympics and yet their life is absolutely just spontaneous in all that they do. They have no chance. We all know that, right? They have no chance to make it. And yet, with our relationship with God, we think, oh, it's a different category. It's a different category. I'm going to spontaneously become mature one day. I'm going to spontaneously kill my sin one day. 
Every mature, healthy relationship takes intentionality. No one here has a healthy marriage unless you put some work into it. Is that right? Therefore, I'm calling all of us to adopt this mindset of Olympic runner in regards to your relationship with Jesus. Here's the second way we run with endurance. We take off sins and weights. Just like any Olympic athlete who wants to run faster, what do they do? They try to think about how they can be as fast, as aerodynamic as possible. They contact Nike. Hey, can you take an ounce off of my shoes? It's too heavy. They try to get the least amount of clothing possible that's appropriate for the games. And if you understand how the Olympics were, were, uh, were back in the days that the Greeks ran naked, very aerodynamic, nothing holding them back. Look at Hebrews 12.1. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, I'm going to briefly talk about sins. There's a lot to talk about taking off sins that clings to us. And so let 2023 be a year where we can all strip off those sins that plague us. But I want to talk about weights or hindrances. I think that's going to serve us this morning well, because it's often our neglect of taking off or examining the weights in our life that keeps those sins plaguing us. It's the other things that hold us back and keep bringing us back into the sins. Please note that this passage is not calling us to just take off sins, Not just sins, but weights, hindrances, anything that would weigh us down. This putting off, laying aside language is the same language of stripping, taking off. What are the things in our life that's holding us back? So imagine a runner who goes up to the starting line and he's wearing a winter coat and boots. He can do that. She can do that, but she'll be slower. He'll be slower. And my concern is that many Christians have this mindset regarding things in their life. What's wrong with it? Is it a sin? Show me, Sam, in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not do that with my girlfriend or boyfriend. Show me in the Bible where I need to do this. See, as long as we're living and operating at that level of what do I have to do or what can I not do, we're never going to be spiritually mature and healthy. It's a very beginner question to ask. I remember when I was a high school pastor, I would have these questions. Hey, how far can I go with my girlfriend? That's the wrong question. If you're asking that question, you're already losing. It's like the Olympic trainer catching an athlete the day of the race, shoving down Twinkies in his mouth, catching him. And the Olympic athlete says, what's wrong with it? It's not steroids. That guy's going to lose that day, isn't he? Yes, you can run with a winter jacket, but will it help you run? Does what you do in your life, that habit, that relationship, that thing, does it help you run? That's the better question. Does it help you see Jesus and love Jesus more? Become more like Christ? See, everything changes when you reform the question to not being, what's wrong with it or is it okay? Does the Bible permit it to, how can I run faster? 
How can I treasure Jesus more deeply? See how that changes everything? It no longer becomes a legalistic game. It no longer becomes, am I allowed to do that? Or the pastor will be mad or along with that? Or if I, if I do that, will I go to hell? No, 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 it changes everything. It, it, it's kind of like a relationship, a marriage, where a man is constantly asking, what must I do not to get a divorce? Versus, what must I do to get as near as possible to my wife? See how that changes everything? So often, Christians, we operate like that divorce mindset. What can I do to make sure I don't go to hell? And of course, your relationship with God is going to be dysfunctional. At best, and at worst, a phony. Listen, not all hindrances and weights are sin. In fact, a hindrance or a weight is often a good gift from God. A good gift. And for you, it may be a weight or hindrance, and for me, it may not be, and vice versa. There are things that I should not do that you can do because of where I'm at in my life, my context. And this is hard. It's hard to know. It could be a TV show. It could be your phone. It could be a friendship. It could be a hobby. It could be a job. I don't know your situation. I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to try not to be. What one test you can do is you can take something away from your life for a season and test it and see if it improves your relationship with Christ. Test it out for a season. Does this bring life? If the idea of you even taking that thing away for a season terrifies you and you feel a ton of resistance inside, it's probably a good idea to take it away. It's probably a warning sign. The Holy Spirit saying, hey, I'm, I'm touching that. I'm pressing that. And the challenge is, is that all of us here are partially or greatly self-deceived about ourselves, including me. We all, we all, every one of us are. And so to truly recognize the weights and hindrances in our life, we need healthy, intimate community of people who love us and know us well and have the courage to say hard things to us and because they love us and they want to honor God. Because we can't see all of our weights. We can't see all of our hindrances because you know why? A lot of those weights and hindrances we're in love with. If something flashed in your mind right away, it's probably the Spirit highlighting. What is that one sin or weight that the Holy Spirit is calling you to get rid of this year? Church, what's that one weight or weights that the Spirit of God is saying, give that up so you can run with me? Give that up so we can be nearer. We need to run and remove weights. To run with endurance, we need to remove the sins and weights in our life. Let's look, look at the third way. Run with our church. Look back at verse one. You can flash it on the screen. Note the phrase, let us. Let us. Notice there's a us, not a you. You, yourself, singular. This whole passage is written with the church in mind. We need community to help us identify the hindrances in our lives. We're blind to them often. We need community to help us look to Jesus. As they look to Jesus, it reminds us to look to Jesus. You know what that's like? Being around someone who's pursuing Christ and it kind of 
shocked you, wakes you, oh yeah, Jesus, my favorite one, I forgot you, Jesus, thank you for reminding me, brother or sister. As someone becomes more like Jesus, it challenges, it reminds us how much more Christ we can have and be like. Most Olympians, they train with a team. Same, same thing for us spiritually. You need a team, you need people. When we want to give up, but others are enduring, what does it do? It strengthens us, builds us up. We see someone's devotion for Jesus, it stirs their heart. Jesus is more beautiful than we know. We see others running with joy in the midst of tremendous suffering. It says, oh man, I complain too much. I have too much self-pity. That person is suffering way more than me, and yet they're way more joyful than me. There's more joy to be had. But to benefit from those examples of people, you need to have proximity to those people. You need to have intimacy with those people. You have to know those people. Let me just tell you, I've been so encouraged this last year by my missional community, how so many of them have suffered sought after Jesus in the midst of challenges. As so many of them have sought God in his word and prayer, serving one, what is that doing? It's helping me see Jesus. It's helping me endure in my race when I want to give up. So I want to call you this year to press into all the structures of all people's church. We have three structures, Sunday gatherings, DNA, mission communities. That's it. We have nothing else that we do as a church at this time. We make it simple. Because we know that those three things, if you're doing them, not perfectly, but truly, over time, we will grow to be more like Jesus and to know him more. So I call you back into that if you've fallen off of that. Lastly, let's talk about the great power, the object and motivation for our run. What will keep you running this year in the midst of inevitable challenges that you're going to face this year? Discouragements, sufferings. Verse two, would you read this out loud? Looking to Jesus. That's how. It's important to stress that we remove weights and hindrance, hindrances so we can run to Jesus. If you want legalism, it's removing them to remove them for that sake, for that sake. Just like fasting, is it withholding from food so that you can withhold from food, but so that you can feast on the word and prayer? So it is, these removing of hindrances and weights in our life are so that we can run and look to Jesus. And the more we look to Jesus, the easier it will be to lay aside every weight. What does it mean to look to Jesus? That's a very Christian-y term that you could just say that can be very, very ambiguous. The word... Looking is closely connected in context of verse three. Consider, consider. Both are getting at a similar idea. Look to is not a casual like, yeah, I, I, see, I see Jesus. But it's a fixing, a fixing of your eyes without distraction. Imagine an Olympic runner running at the very end. He sets his gaze. She sets his gaze right at the very end. Everything else fades Everything dead set for that one goal. That's the kind of calling this looking is calling us to do. And when we look to Jesus, it says, we consider that he is the founder and perfecter, perfecter of our faith. There's a lot to be said here, but briefly, this phrase embodies all that Christ has done for us in his life. He was the first to obey God perfectly. Following the Father's will made a way for us to follow himself. 
Let's look at his life. First, we look at what he did on the cross. Look at verse two again. Who for the joy that was set before him endured. There's that word endure again. The cross, despising the shame. We'll get to the joy in a minute, but consider Jesus endured the cross. In this phrase, despising the shame, what does that mean? Well, crucifixion was designed to maximize shame and pain. And what Jesus did as he set his gaze on the joy, and he said that joy is far greater than the shame and pain of the cross, that he despised it. Other translations of that word despise is disregarded the shame. That shame is nothing compared to this joy. We'll get to that joy in a minute. Not that the shame and pain was not real. It was. And not that the sacrifices Christ is calling to you are costly. They are. But compared to what he's offering you, they're not. Now, where's Jesus now? And he's seated, next slide, at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is triumphal. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And his position of sitting with his Father is a guarantee that his purposes will come to pass. So when we run this race, church, it's as if Jesus is at the end. He's at the finish line with his nail-scarred hands. Open. Come. I've already finished before you. Come to my arms. I'm waiting for you. Come, run hard. Don't give up. I know it's hard. I've been there. I was acquainted with all those kinds of suffering. I can sympathize with you because I know what it feels like to be tempted in every way. I made it way, I made it possible for you by the Holy Spirit. Come, and he's waiting for us. Set our gaze, fix our eyes to Jesus. What did Jesus endure? It's repeated again. Hostility against himself. Look at verse three. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. All of us here have probably done stuff that deserve hostility. I've, I've done things that people were mad at me, and I'm like, yeah, you should be. I was dumb. I was wrong. I was messed up in that. And yet think about Jesus. Never, ever did wrong. Not Jesus. Never harmed anyone always did was right. And yet he was scorned and treated with hostility like he was the greatest sinner who ever lived. And why did he do such a thing? Why did he endure? Why? So that you, you plural, may not grow faint-hardened or weary. Is anyone here weary or faint-hardened as we think about this new year? You tired, discouraged, Jesus suffered great hostility against himself from sinners so that us, that we who are weary and our hearts are fainting and discouraged can be filled up with encouragement. Consider Jesus who loves you so much. He took all of the hostility you and I deserve so that he can give us fresh wind as we run this year. Which leads us to verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Wow, this is a crazy verse. (laughs) If you want to give up this race, consider Jesus and how he suffered for us by shedding his own blood. This preacher is calling out the Hebrews and telling them that their fight against sin has not come to the point of shedding blood. (laughs) Can you imagine how upset some of you would be if I were to counsel you this way? Some of you guys are like, man... Sin is kicking my butt. I keep falling back into that addiction. I'm like, but did you bleed for it yet? (laughs) So either this preacher is dramatic 
or gory or sin is that terrible. It is. It's that terrible that he's saying, do whatever you got to do. There is no ounce of laziness and casualness here about killing sin. If you are not ferociously aggressive against your sin, church, that sin will be killing you this year. This is the kind of attitude that we are commanded to. Don't pull that legalism card on me. That's in the scriptures. We're commanded to put to death our sin, the sins that cling so closely, the weights that cling so closely and obscure our vision of Christ in such a way that's almost like you're, you're, you're bleeding. People say to me, I, I fought hard. I, I did my best. I try to keep my marriage. I tried my best, but did you bleed for it? Are you fighting against sin this hard, church? Remember how serious Olympians are doing aggressively whatever they got to do to remove whatever stands to get in their goal. And likewise, we ought to have that same attitude towards sin, church. Now let's look at another way to look at Jesus, and that's through his saints, his people. Let me go quickly. In the very beginning of chapter 11, we see this idea of cloud of witnesses. Who are these cloud of witnesses? Now think about this word witness. What are they witnessing of? Another word for witness here could be testifying. What are they testifying of? Well, if you read through the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 is going through a hall, a, 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 a hall of faith. Just all these people who trusted God and lived in the midst of many challenges. So what are they testifying of? Well, let's look at Hebrews eleven twenty four. Would you read this out loud with me? By faith. Somehow, Moses, by the power of the Spirit, had a glimpse of the Messiah, the Christ to come. And think about the empire he was in, the culture he was in, filled with all the kinds of pleasures of the world had to offer in that day. And yet, Moses said, compared to this Christ that I see, and even dimly, that is better than all that Pharaoh's offering me. So what do these saints scream out with their lives for us in Hebrews chapter 11? That Christ is worthy. Christ is worth it. You can do this. It's not about the quality of their faith, but the object of their faith, of who they're looking at. The wrong thing for us to conclude is, hey, go do likewise, because they did it. They worked hard, you work hard. No, no, no. Look at what they looked at. The crowd of witnesses in heaven, I believe, according to Revelation, that they can see us now. And you know what? If we could hear them, if God would give us a heavenly glimpse of their voices, they would be crying out to you, don't give up. Jesus is worth it. You can't wait till you, you, you won't imagine what it's like when you finally see his face like we do. I think that's what they would be saying. Don't give up. It's worth it. It's gonna be okay. It's worth it. It's gonna be worth it. Now, I realize that this passage has been heavy, and some of you guys can easily take it here and stop it and say, Christianity is just hard. It's legalistic. Just discipline. But let me show you, as we close, what's upholding all of this. 
How did Jesus have the motivation to complete this race? Look at this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? What was the joy set before him? What did Jesus not have with the Father and the Spirit before all this that he did? What did he not have? I love how one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon, puts it this way. The joy which was set before Jesus was principally joy of saving you and me. I know it was the joy of fulfilling his Father's will, of sitting down on the Father's throne, of being made perfect through suffering, but still, I know that this is the grand, great motive of the Savior's suffering, the joy of saving us. What did he not have before his incarnation? Us. From heaven he came and sought us. He wanted you. So what is upholding this whole passage to keep it from becoming a discipline and merely legalism and all the works is that he came for you, for a relationship. He had this loving relationship within the Trinity and he's saying, I want you to be part of this relationship. It's all grounded in relationship. It's a heart brimming full of love and affection for you, desire for you. See, legalism is do these things, take off the sins, take off the weights so that God would accept you, so that you would earn his favor. What this is saying, what biblical Christianity is saying is you've already been accepted because of Jesus. Now come near. Have all that Christ has purchased for you. Enjoy him to the backs. I love this quote from Dallas Willard. The path of spiritual growth in the riches of Christ is not a passive one. Listen, listen to this. This will change your life if you don't get this already. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. You've already received all the favor and forgiveness of Christ. You're not earning his favor. He already is crazy about you. And if you feel an uncertainty about your relationship with Christ today, you're not sure that you know this kind of Christ, that's this glorious, that worthy, come pray with someone today. We want you to know this Christ in 2023. Now, one final point. Let us consider all this in light of relationship with our Heavenly Father. Hebrews shifts from talking about Olympic language to fatherly children language. Why? Well, I think... It's because of this. Read verse five and six with me. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. Why doesn't he continue this metaphor of running? Well, likely it's because when you're in the midst of fire and suffering, having just a coach is not enough. It feels cold, feels distant, but having a father who's saying all the sufferings is worth it, child. I am designing it all for good. That can give you fuel for your sails. See, your coach is also your dad saying, I got you. This is good. It'll be worth it. Come with me. Let's run. So my call for you, church, this year, in 2023, is to run to Jesus like an Olympian. So one way that the pastors and I are trying to make this more doable, because if you just have desire but no plan, it's not going to happen, is that this week, 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, this room will be open from about 6 a.m. to later at night. We're making it open and we're gonna have prayer guides here that will help you walk through a plan to check out your past, your present, and your future and what God has for you this year. It's really interactive, it's dynamic. If you're like, I can't imagine spending a long time with God, it is very easy when you have this guide. I encourage every single one of you, and I mean it, I say this as your brother and as a fellow pastor, come this week, make an hour or two, make it work for your spouse, watch the kids, take off PTO, come here and sit with God. We'll just have music playing, and it's gonna be just kind of an open atmosphere of prayerful meditation and seeking God. And then this Wednesday, we're gonna have a corporate prayer and worship service here that you're all welcome to. And we're inviting any of you, if you're able to, to fast on Wednesday or fast all week or fast the next month. I don't know. Whatever the Holy Spirit has for you. I'm not gonna bind your conscience. I don't know what the Holy Spirit has for you. Maybe you need to do that. And then we're gonna come together. We're gonna worship on Wednesday. And so church, can you imagine with me? What if 2023 was the year that we all finally kicked that bad habit or that sin that clings so closely, that plagues us, that hounds us, that, that destroys us? What if 2023 was the year we finally loved with courage? 2023, we finally came out of our shells and had some faith and courage in life and shared the gospel with our friends. What if 2023 was the year we finally sought God with all of our hearts? What if a year from today, you were so much closer to Jesus than you are right now? Let's do that, church. Do you guys want that? I hope you want that. I hope you want Christ. Let's seek him together. And now, I'm gonna invite the worship band to come up. Jesus is waiting at the finish line, church. He's waiting with his scarred hands open, saying, come to me. In an age of distraction, he's saying, fix your eyes on me, church. He's been there, he knows the struggle. So let us be honest with him now as we enter a time of prayer and reflection. Jesus has already come before us, but he's calling. What are the things that he's calling you to strip off? What are the good things that have become ultimate things? What are the distractions, the relationships, the habits, the addictions that you need to strip off, cut off this year? And let's do that by the Spirit. Let's run to Jesus like an Olympian this year.